Do please take a seat. If you uh, have a Bible, if you'd like to open it to uh, Luke chapter 1, that's uh, page 1026, that would be very helpful. And shall I pray as we begin? Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. Lord, how we praise you that you came in uh, the form of a little baby and would grow up to be indeed the Saviour of the world. And we pray that this sermon would glorify your name, that your word would be our rule and your spirit would be our guide. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Well, I guess unless you have been um, marooned on a desert island participating in uh, I'm a Celebrity, you've probably got rather used to hearing the phrase, the Christmas spirit. Anyone heard that banded around? I was in a shop the other day, and there was somebody encouraging me to have more of the Christmas spirit, get into the Christmas spirit. It's a, it's a popular phrase at this time of year, and yet nobody ever seems to be able to spell out what it means. If you believe uh, Charles Dickens, it's about uh, benevolence and being nice to, to people and generosity to our fellow men. Uh, if you believe John Lewis, it looks like a bear and a hare. If you're in the greeting cards business, it sounds like £148 million. That's how much we're going to spend on Christmas cards this year. And if you're an old man that I was talking to the other day, it comes in the form of Johnny Walker. <laughs> However, let me suggest that the Christmas spirit's as the Bible presents it, is none of those things, as good as some of them, at least, may be. Far from being centred on our wants and our desires, it's actually in response to what God has done for us in entering into our broken world and dealing with our rebellion. In short, Christmas, the Christmas spirit is worship. It is giving God the glory for what he has done and that it is his due. It is our right response to the God who has become human in the Lord Jesus Christ and offers us salvation. And that is indeed the theme at the heart of our passage this morning that we've just heard read. Uh, It's one of the most famous songs in Christian history. It's been uh, sung as part of Christian worship for probably about 1,500 years. And rightly at the heart of it is the theme of worship. Mary praises God for his mercy and his thankfulness to her and indeed, a faithfulness to her even, and indeed to humanity. And I think there are three big themes that we can draw out of this passage to stimulate us to praise and worship this morning and this Christmas uh, as well. The first one is that Mary praises the God who has regard for individuals. If you've got your Bible open, perhaps you'd like to look at uh, verse 46 through to 49. Mary said, "'My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour.'" For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. The uh, the 19th century Scottish writer Thomas Carlyle said that wonder is the basis of all worship. And that, I think, is a a fair summary, really, of Mary's uh, experience here. For, For Mary, her wonder at the grace and the love of God provide the starting point for her worship. Notice how personal she gets. Five times in these verses she speaks of me or my worship. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour. This is the praise of an individual, someone who, who has encountered God, who knows God and is known by him, and wonders at how on earth that could possibly be. Well, where does that wonder spring from? I think it comes from Mary's awareness of her own great need 
and indeed of God's greatness. Look at verse 47. She said, my spirit rejoices in God, my saviour. And then she goes on to speak of God's power, his mercy, his holiness. Mary knows that fundamentally her need is like that of all humans. She needs a saviour. There's no hint of uh, an immaculate conception, as, uh, as the Roman Catholic Church has often taught, that Mary was essentially sinless. No, she knows that she's not perfect. She needs a saviour. She needs somebody who can rescue her, who can sort her out. She needs God to act on her behalf. Many people have noticed that this song is, is absolutely saturated with Old Testament imagery. It builds particularly on Hannah's song. You remember Hannah rejoicing at the birth of Samuel. Uh, Mary would have been well aware of the great promise of the prophets running through the Old Testament that God would send a Messiah who would bring salvation. He would bring forgiveness of sins. He would sort everything out and he would come and dwell with his people. And she delights that this has happened. God has sent his saviour. And she, above all people, knows that she needs that. And she delights that she's included. She can say that she is of humble state. She, 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 is a, she is a lowly person in the world's eyes, of little account, and yet she rejoices that God has regard, even for her, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant, verse 48. It is, I guess, difficult for us to grasp uh, so many years on just how significant this is. But think of it. Mary was a, a peasant girl. She was at the bottom of society. She was pregnant. She was unmarried. She was a teenager. She was indeed a woman. All those factors counted against her in the eyes of her contemporary society. And yet she can say that God chooses to use her. He has been mindful of the state of his servant. And how like God that is, isn't it? To choose the most unlikely candidate and use them in his plans. It's always been his pattern, hasn't it? Think back through the great stories of the Bible. Think of David. He was the the one out attending to the sheep. They didn't even think it was worth bringing him in to be picked as the, uh, the king. Think of Gideon. He said, my tribe is the least. I'm the, I'm the least of my, my family. The most unlikely candidate to be used for the deliverance of Israel. Think of Ruth, the Moabitess. She wasn't even part of God's people. It has always been God's way to use those who are unlikely because man looks on the outside and yet God looks on the heart. Recently, I reread a uh, short biography. I love uh, Christian biographies of a, a man who is not particularly well known. He was a, a, a saint of the uh, Christian worker from the last century and was quite a remarkable individual in many ways. He was not particularly talented or blessed as the world would have it. He was quite short. Apologies to Alan there. He was uh, not particularly sporty. He was not particularly clever. And in the world's eyes, he didn't do a great deal that really mattered, I suppose. And yet, at the heart of his life was a determination to serve God with every fibre of his being. Uh, And God used him, through his faithfulness, to set up a a network of Christian camps, Christian uh, summer camps for young people uh, to come and hear about the Lord Jesus. And many, through his work, which has been going on for many, many years now, have come to know of Jesus and have come, indeed, to serve him for themselves. If I mentioned his name, many of you, I suspect, would never have heard of him. And yet, if I mentioned some of the people who had been brought to Christ through his ministry, you will have undoubtedly heard them. You've probably read their books as well. It has always been the way of God to use people who the world has little regard for. 
Winston Churchill once said that it's often been the people who have impressed me the least who have been the ones who have influenced me the most. And I think that's often the way it is in God's economy, isn't it? You can think of those people who actually the world has probably said hasn't got much to offer. And yet they're the ones who, in his hands, can be the most uh, influential. I, I don't know about you, but I think there's so often that temptation, isn't there, to look at ourselves and to think, golly, God can't use me. Perhaps some of you are sitting there thinking, well, I could never stand at the front and be useful to God. I certainly have doubts about whether God can use me sometimes. I don't think I'm wonderfully talented or gifted. And yet, surely, the example of Mary shows us that all that God requires is that we give him our hearts. We, we ask him to use us with all our faults, with all our failings, with all our issues for his service. There's a carol, isn't there, that we often sing at Christmas by uh, Cristiano Rossetti. What can I give him? It has the line, poor as I am. Yet what I can I give him? I give him my heart. And that is the, the cry of Mary. Mary gives the Lord her heart to, to use him. And she praises him that he can use her for his glory. Second big theme from our verses this morning. Mary praises the God who reverses worldly values. This is from verses uh, 51 down to 52. This is verse 51. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. If we were asked to uh, name songs of revolution, I don't think we would include the Magnificat. We would probably think of something like the Red Flag or maybe the collected songs of uh, Billy Bragg or someone like that. The Magnificat probably wouldn't be up there in our first choice. And yet, at the core of Mary's song is indeed a theme of revolution. Not so much a political revolution, but a personal revolution, a, a revolution of the heart. Uh, a reversal of the values that the world cherishes, but that God despises. And so confident is Mary that this revolution will be achieved, that she can even speak of them, and the end of it, indeed, in the past tense. Do you see that? He has performed mighty deeds. He has scattered. He has brought down. He has lifted. He has filled, and so on. If God has sent his son, says Mary then the revolution must happen. It is as good as accomplished fact. What is this reversal that uh, Mary sees God bringing about? So it seems to me to have uh, three big aspects. The first one is it's a reversal of pride. You see that in uh, verse 51. The coming of Christ strikes a death blow to pride. We've just sung, haven't we? Thou was rich beyond all splendor. That the creator of the world would stoop to leave the comforts of heaven, to come and dwell in our broken, messed up world, inherit our, our, inhabit our frail humanity in all its brokenness, uh, and indeed to go and serve us as our saviour. That is a death blow to pride. It strikes at the very heart of pride, which says that pride exalts itself above everything else. Humility, I guess, is not something most of us would associate with gods. We looked at the ancient world, they Visions of gods were, were people who sort of lorded it over um, uh, everyone else. And, and yet the Bible reveals that God is not like that. God doesn't lord it over us. Indeed, as, as Mark's gospel tells us, he comes not to be served, but to serve, and ultimately to give his life on our behalf. God reverses human pride. He strikes it at its core and reverses it. Secondly, it is a reversal of power. Verse 52. 
He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. So often it has been in the history of the world that those in power have sought to abuse their status and oppress those beneath them. This week in the news, we've had uh, North Korea, haven't we, Uh, up to their tricks again. And yet Mary says that with the coming of the King of Kings, such a pattern can no longer continue. God promises that those who have misused their power have had their reward. They will get it. And they will be overturned. And justice will once again reign. The prestige of the world, the status that the world accords to different people, matters little. Because God is looking for those who put others first, who use their power to serve others, who seek his glory and not their own. And it's those people who will be exalted, not those who lord it over others. But thirdly, it's a reversal of contentment. You see that, verse 53. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. It is the hungry who will be filled. The rich will leave empty. Many people over uh, through history have taken these words, uh, implying that Mary was talking in some way about economics. Uh, you know, some sort of socialist idea that, that Jesus is going to usher in uh, this new political world where everyone's going to be equal and all's going to be uh, sweetness and light. Now, of course, the Bible repeatedly affirms that it's vital that we have care for the poor. Think of the prophet Amos, um, who, who denounced his people who were corrupt and uh, oppressing the, uh, the poor. And yet, I think, in reality, this is, these verses actually talk more about spiritual contentment not socialism. Mary is, is echoing the words of Psalm 107 back in the, the Old Testament. And indeed, she actually, whether unconsciously, echoes the words that Jesus himself will use in the Beatitudes. It's those who hunger and thirst for righteousness who will be filled. Many in our world are seeking contentment and satisfaction in possessions. See that at Christmas time, with uh, hungering after, after material things. They seek it in sex, relationships that ultimately are not going to fulfill them. Maybe they just seek it in sheer pleasure. And yet the Bible says that only those who admit their need and who've come to Christ to find satisfaction will ultimately find true contentment. Jesus said himself that I am the bread of life. He is the only person who can offer us true satisfaction and contentment. Mary knows that through this little baby who was born to her, God will reverse the whole idea of contentment, for contentment is only going to be found in this little baby. The uh, philosopher uh, Kierkegaard told a parable about a, uh, a gang of jewel thieves who broke into a, um, into a shop, jeweler's shop. And uh, unlike most jewel thieves, they, uh, they didn't actually take anything. What they did was they swapped the, uh, the labels the, of, of the, uh, the, the sort of price tag, tags around on the items. So, of course, the things that were essentially paste and uh, pretty worthless got uh, marked up as being uh, genuine pearls and uh, worthy of, uh, of, of great expense. And the things that were of most value got sold off very cheaply. And in many ways, it illustrates, I think, the effect of sin in our world, that the values of our world and how our world seeks to operate have been turned completely on their head. The things that we should value are treated of being of little accord, and the things that really actually don't matter that much at all are exalted uh, to a high place. And Mary says that the coming of Jesus and his kingdom is an act where those values are being reversed. She, he will reverse 
sin's work. And he ushers in a new order. And the question for us, I guess, is whether we ally ourselves with God's values or with the values of the world. There is a choice here, isn't there, for each of us. Do we go along with what the world says we should value or do we go along with what God says? Let me tell you, as we've seen, that Mary says that God's values are the ones that will win out in the end. It is an accomplished fact, and that should surely help us to make our minds up. Christmas is awash with this inversion of values, isn't it? This worshipping the creative things rather than the creator, worshipping gifts and not the giver, seeking hedonism, not holiness. And let's be challenged this Christmas by Mary's example Let's, let, let's ensure that for us it's different. We value what God values. We value humility, service, his glory above ours. Find our satisfaction in Christ, who is the bread of life, the one who says that we can uh, find true contentment in him. We are in the new year running Alpha, a great, example, great way to, uh, to explore what this might look like. Uh, do uh, let me uh, encourage you to come along. We're advertising it more fully in, in the new year. Uh, it's a wonderful course to find out what uh, Christianity is all about. What is life all about? What is life, what's worth living for? And we believe as Christians it is indeed the Lord Jesus Christ who has given himself for us. It's also a wonderful way of refreshing if you've uh, been a Christian for a long time and would like to uh, have a fresh look at some things. So uh, that's something to look forward to in the new year. But Mary says that God reverses the values of the world. Finally, Mary's third, third uh, thought for us. Mary praises the God who remembers his people. Verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. I don't know if you caught this in the news this week, but you may have seen that story of the uh, family in Nevada who went out in their car to, uh, to go and play in the snow, and then they ended up getting lost in snowy mountains. They had two days essentially living off, uh, I think, melted snow and uh, other things. It sounded pretty ghastly, really. Uh, how glad they must have been to not have been forgotten that somebody remembered that they'd gone out and, uh, and went looking for them. And so too, Mary rejoices that God doesn't forget his people. Alan was reminding us that uh, at this point in the story, in the Bible's plan, there have been almost 400 years uh, since God had last spoken to his people. The 400 years of silence, as it's traditionally known. During that period, uh, Israel as a nation had been invaded by the, by the Greeks and then by the Romans. There had been uh, lots of extremist sects who'd come up, popped up, saying that the, that, uh, the end of the world was going to come. But there had been no sign of any divine activity, no sign of God's work, uh, no word from his people, from his prophets, about uh, what was going to happen. And I just wonder, surely in the back of their minds, many people at this time must have just been thinking, is God still there? Does he, does he really care? Are we, are we sure? Are we not just making this up? Does he really care for us? Does he, has he really got us in the back of his mind? And yet the answer of Mary is emphatically, yes, he does remember. He hasn't forgotten. In fact, more than that, he not he hasn't just forgotten, he has acted decisively in the sending of Jesus to remember them and to accomplish what he has promised. How can she sing with such confidence? Well, it seems to me there's a couple of reasons. Firstly, I think she takes confidence in the history of God's dealings with his people. Do you see that in verse 54? She says, he has helped his servant Israel 
remembering to be merciful. Mary looks back and she can see through the whole of the history of her people that God has consistently shown himself faithful. He has remembered to be merciful. And just as he has been so in the past, so he promises that he will be so in the present. He doesn't change. He doesn't change like shifting shadows, as the Apostle James says. He's not like some fickle human being who says one thing and then does another. He is consistent in his nature. He has ever been faithful to his people, and he ever will be. She looks back on the history of her people and says, yes, God has acted like this in the past, and so he will do now. Yet more than that, she lays hold of God's promise. Did you catch that reference? Verse 55, she says to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. That reference to Abraham, I I think, is, is a recollection of the great promise that God had given to, to Abraham back in the book of Genesis. You remember that? He, God promised that Abraham would be the father of a great nation uh, and that one day in the future, God himself would be the God of the people that he had chosen. He would be the God of his people. Uh, and that's a promise that Mary sees has been fulfilled in the sending of the Lord Jesus, the Messiah. He is Emmanuel, as uh, the Bible tells us. God with us. God has kept his promise and Mary rests on that. Uh, there was a survey last year that suggested about 70% of Britons had no intention whatsoever of attending church at Christmas time. And in a further question, over 50% said that Jesus was, quote, completely irrelevant to their Christmas time. I, I don't know about you, but it's tempting to look at these things and look out on the world and just wonder if uh, God is really remembering us and is sticking by his people. It seems that so many have drifted away, are ignoring him, and it's tempting to believe that God has given up or he's not at work. And yet, I think, like Mary, we can indeed look back to God's work through history and take heart from how he has always remained faithful to his people. And he has promised that he will be with us forever. He is at work. One day he will return. That is the great story of Advent. We look back to his first coming And we look forward to his second. He will return. The challenge, I think, for Mary, that Mary gives us, is that we worship God based on facts, not necessarily our feelings or what we see. It's not to say we diminish emotion. Mary's song is an emotional song. But what she rests upon is God's facts, that he has acted in the past decisively, and he has promised to. And we can rest on that, no matter what it seems outside. This Christmas... Let's be reminded with Mary and the testimony of the scriptures that God has been supremely faithful to us to the point even of giving his life on our behalf for us. Let us pledge in our heart to be faithful to him and to respond in love and trust. But also Mary's knowledge of God's deeds stems from her understanding of the Old Testament. In the new year as a church we're going to be uh, trying something a little bit different. We're, uh, I hope... Uh, going to be reading together, doing a Bible in a year scheme. We're going to be encouraging as many people as possible to, to get stuck into to the Bible and to read together collectively as a church um, through, through the Bible in a year. And we're going to have an opportunity after the, uh, the, the morning service to, to gather together to encourage one another with what the Lord's been saying to us throughout the week. Uh, I don't know about you, but it's the start of, a new, start of almost looking towards the start of a new year, and there's many uh, resolutions that we could make. What better and to resolve that we're going to read through God's Word in its entirety. I did that a few years ago and uh, read through the Bible in a year, and it was a wonderful way 
of tracking God's actions through history and seeing how things all held together. That is really what Mary's done. She has lived in the scriptures. She's inherited them to the point where she can see how God works in history. And let me encourage you, that's a wonderful way, as a bit of an advanced warning for you, to, uh, to take some action like Mary and to rest on God's promises and his faithfulness. Well, let's uh, draw things to a close, shall we? The uh, American preacher and writer uh, R.A. Torrey once said that worship is not, it is but adoring contemplation of God. I love that. Worship is but adoring contemplation of God. And I think if any song fits that description, it is indeed Mary's. She reflects, doesn't she, on, on her contemplation of God's character and his work in the world and through history. And so, as we approach Christmas, let's be sure, shall we, that we do get in the Christmas spirit, but it's the right Christmas spirit, the spirit of worship. And we take some time to ponder God's grace to us in the past year, and indeed to recommit ourselves to serve him, just like Mary did in his, uh, in his plans and purposes. Shall we pray as we close? Well, Jesus, we thank you that uh, you, uh, well, you came uh, through, uh, through Mary, this, uh, this humble servant who offered herself to you, who saw that you had regard for individuals and who could see your, your workings in the world. And we pray that you would use us this Christmas and indeed in this new year to work for your praise and glory. We pray that uh, this Christmas we will be people who value what you value, who value worship, not necessarily the things that the world values. And help us, we pray to uh, put you first this Christmas and this year. For Jesus' sake, amen.